Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk, a new series of candid conversations covering the issues facing freelance professionals today. I'm Tom Rizzo, your host, managing director and founder of Plectrum Advisors, an investment advisory firm based in Los Angeles. On each episode of Let's Talk, I'll be speaking with some of the most plugged in experts to help you and me make sense of today's changing environment and to help you be smarter about how to approach work and life. So let's get started. My very first guest on Let's Talk is Brittany Britton, a highly regarded trust and estate attorney based in Los Angeles. In my interview with Brittany, we cover all the issues involved in creating a living trust. For instance, who should have one, what it does, what it doesn't do, what it costs, all the pluses and minuses. And we hope this information will help you to be smarter about planning for your future. The very first question is, is what is a trust and why should people have one or what kinds of people should have it and what's the benefit to that? Okay, sure. So a trust is a legal entity that you create during your life to hold your assets and then transfer those assets to your beneficiaries after your death. Um, an asset is anything from your checking account, your vehicle, your real estate, or royalties and residuals that you've earned um, as a freelancer, whatever that may be. Um, in California, when you go to create an estate plan, you have two options for doing so. You can create a basic will, or you can create a living trust and a will that work together. And there's various differences between them, but what it boils down to is that if you only have a will, your assets will wind up in probate court after your death. Whereas if you take that step to create a living trust and a will, both, they are both required, they work together, you are in effect opting out of the probate court system and electing to have your estate administered privately. That translates to a lot of time and money saved for your beneficiaries. So that law is the substance of the law nationwide but in California, it's even more important because of how time consuming and expensive our probate court system is here. Can, can you give uh, the viewers a, a rough idea of what the cost of probate might be on, you know, pick some specific size of a state um, yes. to, to give them an idea on what we're talking about? Absolutely. Yes. So there's this misconception that when you go to probate, when your assets go to probate, the state is going to take a cut. And, and that really is a misconception. The expense does not come from the state of California taking any of your assets. The expense comes from the attorney fees. So regardless of the size of your estate, you're really only looking at two to $3,000 in actual court fees, filing fees, publishing in the local paper, obtaining certified copies, things like that, two to three grand. The real fee comes from that probate attorney fee. So in California, we have not had probate reform, which means that California probate attorneys are still being paid 
on a percentage of the appraised value of the estate. Um, briefly, that is 4% of the first 100 grand, 3% of the next 100 grand, and then 2% up to a million dollars. Um, the important piece to understand there is that that's appraised value, not the equity that you have in your home. So if your home is worth $800,000, but you owe 400K on it when you die, my fee is based off your $800,000, not based off of your $400,000 worth of equity. And that piece is how estates get upside down in probate court. They don't have the cash to cover the attorney fees and suddenly they're forced to sell their loved one's home um, because they didn't have a living trust. And just to reiterate, so that if they had the trust, none of those fees would apply? Is that true? Absolutely. If that individual who had that $800,000 home, $400,000 mortgage had a trust, the only expense his or her beneficiaries would be looking at would be filing the affidavit of death with the LA County Recorder, which is a whopping $105. That's it. So this is kind of a no-brainer here, that if you have assets of any size, it is going to be in your heir's best interest to have this document in place. I believe so. Um, I read a statistic that only 26% of LA County homeowners have a trust. So if you don't have a trust, don't feel bad about yourself. You're in the majority, um, but now you'll have that knowledge to, to take it to the next level and, and put together a, a proper estate plan that really protects your beneficiaries. Um, and not to jump ahead, Tom, I know that you're getting here, but this is almost more important for our freelancer clients because they have assets that may continue to earn income after their death. Royalties, residuals, intellectual property, whatever it might be, um, is going to continue to pay out after your death. And that could mean that your family is continually going to probate court for permission from a judge to distribute those assets. Not necessary if you have a trust. Uh, I have unfortunately a client who passed away a couple years ago. A commercial that he was in was reissued. And because he had a proper trust and estate plan, uh, we were able to work directly with SAG and he now cuts, uh, SAG now cuts those residual checks directly to his trust for the benefit of his uh, surviving spouse and their child. No probate court necessary. So in the scenario, if someone were um, to create a trust and they were receiving royalties, would the royalties for the rest of that person's life be made to the trust as opposed to that person? Not necessary, no. We, we would do what's called a general assignment where the individual creating the trust assigns their interest in their intellectual property, their copyrights, their royalties, their residuals to their trust. Uh, so during their life, no change is necessary, but that general assignment is the most important piece that their successor trustee, whether that be their spouse, their adult child, their best friend, uh, can then submit that documentation to the, the organization paying out the royalties and residuals. Um, and so after their death, it will now be payable to their trust. Gotcha. So let me, let me bring up uh, a thought that I, I had 
Um, and I, I consider myself one of the more you know, educated people about this. And yet I still had some misconceptions or some worries that uh, maybe we can talk about here. Is there, if I were to create a trust for my assets, do I have less control of those assets or could my children take these assets away from me or could this be in any way a negative for me uh, as opposed to not creating a trust? Can right. you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely, very common question that I get and it's an important question to answer um, because I think that's a big misconception that, that scares people away from a trust. So within a trust, there are three main parties. You have your trustor, your trustee, and your beneficiary. And while you are alive, you're gonna be all three of those. So the trustor creates the trust, that's always Tom. The trustee is the person with the legal control over the assets, that's you, Tom. You decide to sell your house, lease your house, buy a new house, open an investment account, whatever it is, that's you. You get to make that call. You are also the third party. That's the beneficiary during your life. Only your children's interest or whoever your heirs are, are only vesting their interest in your trust upon your death. And that's because as long as you live and as long as you have legal capacity, you can change the terms of who that third party is. You can change the terms of who your beneficiary is. So their interest has not vested until you pass away. And because of that, you retain the full legal control and beneficial interest over your assets during your life. So I shouldn't be concerned. I mean, it doesn't apply to me, but it may apply to other people. If they would have a, let's say, um, less than great relationship with their offspring, mm -hmm. they shouldn't be concerned about creating the trust in terms of it jeopardizing their control over their assets. That is not the case, right? No, absolutely not. And if a client said that to me, I'd be really counseling that client on who is that successor trustee going to be? And, and maybe it should not be one of those children, even if you are leaving them assets, uh, maybe we should tr pick a trusted third party to be that successor trustee because the successor trustee can step in in the event of incapacity. So if you become incapacitated, you are unable to manage your assets, then your successor trustee can step in. So who you choose in that role is probably one of the biggest decisions you will make in your estate plan. And, and that successor trustee role is better known as like the executor or administrator of your estate. Uh, that's who's in charge of following the terms of the trust and distributing to your loved ones. Um, but no, short answer is no, you are protected within your trust. As long as you are living, you have full control and can make any changes that you want. How about for instance, if you wanted to refinance a house and your house was put into your trust, does this jeopardize your ability to be able to refinance the house? It does not. And that's a big one that because everyone's refinancing right now, the rates are great. I get multiple calls a week from clients uh, whose home is in their trust. And you're going to fall into one of two camps, depending on who your lender is. So perhaps you go to refinance with a lender who deals with living trusts every day. They don't even bat an eye. They refinance your mortgage. And now you as trustee of your trust 
are the person on the hook for the mortgage. It's no longer in your name as an individual. That's best case scenario. That's the most common scenario, particularly in California, because so many people have trusts. Now, maybe you find a great rate with a lender that's out of state and is not as used to living trusts as we are here in California. Um, those individuals may have to quit claim their property back into their names as individuals, sign all the loan documents as an individual, not as trustee of their trust. As soon as escrow closes on that refi, they let me know, we quit claim it back into their trust. Um, and in fact, some lenders will even do that for you. You may not even need to go back to your attorney. Um, but I'd say more often than not, you're going to be in camp one. Uh, where it will be no problem for you whatsoever. So this brings it, you brought up an interesting point that um, it, we didn't cover specifically, but I assume you have to put things, put your property into your trust. And the point that you brought up, and maybe you can speak to it a little bit, you have the ability to put things in, take them out at your discretion. Is that true? You want to speak to that a little bit? Yes. So that is called funding your trust. Um, if I create a trust for you and we don't transfer anything into it, then all I've done is given you a fancy binder with a bunch of paperwork in it. I have not given you a trust. And that's the mistake I see. People come to me with their legal Zoom trusts or their trust that they did with a paralegal doesn't own anything. So funding is the act of taking your assets and transferring them into the trust. Some assets like real estate, investment accounts, we wanna transfer into the trust immediately, meaning your trust is now the owner of that asset. Other, other types of assets like royalties and residuals, IRAs, 401ks, life insurance policies, we are not changing ownership during your life. We are simply updating beneficiary designations to make sure that upon your death, that 401k becomes a trust asset, that life insurance becomes payable to your trust. Um, you can absolutely move assets in and out of your trust and sometimes there's a good reason to do so. Um, you know, I won't get into all the details of, of my various clients, but we just did that yesterday with a married couple uh, and they had great reason to move their house out of their trust and it just made sense for their plan. And then what's in, how complicated is something, something like that? It, it, do they just call you up, say, we need to do this, and you supply the paperwork, and it's done? Absolutely. Quit claim deed, send a notary to their house. That's it. The complicated part now is that the county recorder is closed. So it's taking us a little longer to get deeds recorded during COVID, uh, but that's it. Really, I can get a deed done in a day and a mobile notary to your house the next day. So to kind of summarize here, um, people probably have some unfounded fears about losing control of assets that get put into a trust. And they probably also have the unfounded fear that whatever they do is permanent, that if it's put into the trust, that's it. They can't change their minds on it. And it looks like both of those are inaccurate. There are two types of trust, revocable, irrevocable. The vast majority of the time you want a revocable trust. That means you can change the terms whenever you want. Every now and then you may want an irrevocable trust. That is set in stone, that cannot be changed during your life. But for the vast majority of your listeners and, and our mutual clients, 
that's going to be a revocable trust that the client can elect to change uh, whenever they like, change how it operates, change what it owns, change who inherits from it and who's in charge of it. And if I may, one yeah. other common concern that I hear from clients about creating a trust is what are the tax consequences? I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. There are no tax consequences from transferring assets into a revocable trust. Uh, because you remain that legal owner and the beneficial owner, you're not gonna file your income taxes differently. There's not going to be any change in your property tax rate under California law. Uh, and if you transfer investments or appreciable assets into the trust, that is not going to trigger any sort of capital gain tax. So that's a big one I hear as well that maybe your listeners are concerned about. Mm -hmm. So one of, the, one of the really big questions here is, what does this cost to do if you were to do it and how long does it take? Okay, good question. So most estate planning attorneys you're gonna find do flat rates. It's really common in this field. I'd say if you find an estate planner doing an hourly rate, put up a, a red flag. Uh, so for me, if you're an individual person, you're unmarried um, or you're married and you want a separate property trust, but we're just serving one individual, your trust package will be $2,000 flat. It will include your trust, your will, one deed, your power of attorney and your advanced healthcare directive. For my married couples, all of those same documents except two wills, two POAs, two healthcare directives will be $3,000. I'd say in LA County, I'm right in the median. Uh, you can certainly find someone that's gonna charge you less and you can absolutely find someone who's gonna charge you probably double. Um, I think I'm right in the middle and I think that's something you should ask the attorney you're consulting with upfront and they should have a straightforward answer for you. Uh, my turnaround is about a month, I'd say, four to five weeks from when I first meet with a client. And I think that's relatively average as well. Are there other ways to protect your assets than creating a trust? Protecting assets. So I hear that a lot and it can mean a lot of different things. So if a client calls me, I had someone call me today. He's involved in a lawsuit with his former business partners. He wants to put his property into a trust to quote unquote protect it. That is not how trusts work uh, in the state of California. So if by asset protection, you're worried about being sued, uh, then a revocable trust is not the correct option for you. Uh, your trust can be reached in to, um, and assets can be collected for a judgment just the same way that they can when they're in your name as an individual. Uh, now, as an estate planning attorney, when I hear asset protection, I think I'm protecting you from probate court. I'm protecting you in the event that you have a period of incapacity that is elongated during your life, the trust will really insulate you during that time. Um, so that's my version of asset protection. Uh, when it comes to protecting your assets from being sued, there are various options, LLCs, um, offshore trusts, you know, more complex things that you might put together. Um, but the key is that you need to do those before you know that you're going to be sued or that you have a creditor coming against you. 
as if there's been a lawsuit filed and suddenly you create an offshore trust and transfer your assets into it, that will all be available for collection. And not only will it be available co for collection, but you can now be accused of fraud, trying to hide assets in anticipation of a judgment against you. So protecting assets, we just gotta be clear what we're talking about. You know, California makes it pretty easy to be sued. Um, but when it comes to protecting you from probate, a living trust can certainly do that. Well, that's a great distinction. And, and maybe this is a topic for uh, another program that we might do about, um, especially uh, in the freelance world, I know many of my colleagues have set up S-Corps or LLCs or C-Corps and that kind of thing um, for many reasons. One of them is liability protection and that kind of thing. Maybe we'll, we'll cover that at another time, but it's, it's good that you made the distinction that the purpose of the living trust is not that. The Absolutely. The living trust is so that the heirs will get the maximum amount of your estate without having to pay the fees of the probate. Exactly. Yes. Important distinction. I get asked that a lot. Yeah. Well, I think even I fell into that category of being a, a little bit unclear about what, what the protections, what protections I'm getting, what protections I'm needing, and what are the, the proper vehicles for being able to provide those. Right. You spoke about um, successor trustee. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk a little bit about um, uh, what, the def what the definition of that is and what the options might be for a person? Um, because I, I have a feeling that this may be the area that people would need to do the most deliberation in terms of, um, especially if it's a married couple, making a decision about who that is. Can you talk a little bit about what the successor trustee is? Absolutely. So the successor trustee, it sounds, you know, it can confuse people. The term, it is the executor of your estate. Um, it is the person who you trust to protect your assets after your death and distribute them to your beneficiaries according to the terms of your trust. So the successor trustee doesn't need to be a lawyer, a CPA, a financial advisor. They need to be someone you implicitly trust. And why is that? Um, I always say this to clients in every single intake meeting when we're talking about successor trustee is, it's easy for me to sell you on avoiding probate because you're gonna save your kids, you're gonna save your beneficiaries a ton of time and money. But there's a flip side to that coin of avoiding probate, which is that we don't have a judge signing off on every dime that's being spent. If we're in probate court, you better believe the judge is going a line item down every penny that's being spent um, out of your estate. And with a trust, we're opting out of that. We're in a private administration which means that the trustee has a lot of leeway and, and sometimes a lot of discretion. And so, yes, there are checks and balances with a trust. Your beneficiaries can require accountings and review bank statements and, and things of that nature. Um, but there certainly is the opportunity for a trustee to misappropriate funds, um, even outright commit fraud. And so, in my opinion, trustworthiness is the number one quality that you want in your successor trustee. And so that may be a family member, it may be a friend, 
it, it may be one of your adult children. Um, I don't love putting two adult children um, as co-trustees, although by the letter of the law, you can do so. Um, but I often encourage my clients to choose one. Um, and then every now and then, maybe there's no one in your life that really fits that bill. And, and that's where a professional fiduciary comes in. So in the, in the land of private fiduciaries, you have everything from your mom and pop shop with one fiduciary who has a staff of one assisting him. And then on the complete other end, you have a corporate fiduciary, which is the Wells Fargo Trust Department, who may have hundreds of licensed fiduciaries working under the trustee department in Wells Fargo and, and managing trusts for trusts around the country. Got it. You're going to pay for that. Just, you're going to pay for that. Uh, so that would be, will they, will there be in like an annual fee for that? Yeah. So oftentimes what I see is that the, the smaller fiduciaries, they will have an hourly rate and they're going to give you itemized invoices of what they did for you and how much they, how many, how many hours they spent on that. Uh, now, when we get to the Wells Fargo's, the Edward Jones's, the Citibank trust departments, you're looking now at about 1.5 to 2% of the assets managed annually. Okay. So that's important to keep in mind, depending on who your beneficiaries are. Uh, if your beneficiaries are in their 40s and you're saying give everything to them outright, then maybe you're willing to pay 1.5%. It'll be a one-time fee. But if your beneficiaries are 10 years old and you're tying up their inheritance until they're 40, you know, now we're looking at 30 years of paying 1.5% of the assets managed annually. I see. That's a good distinction. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's something that um, if someone were to, were to come to you or another trust attorney, that would be something you would say, you need to figure out which of these options you want. You want a professional large organization, a professional small organization, or a friend or family member. And that has to be decided before the end process of the trust. Is that accurate? Absolutely. It's one of the most important decisions to make. And I really dig into it with my clients. You know, I had a client who said, oh, my sister is the right person for the trustee. And I could tell that her husband was a little unsure started asking more questions and come to find out sister's husband has been arrested for white collar crimes. And I'm saying this is not the right individual. Even if you trust your sister, uh, we don't want maybe her husband having access uh, to these funds. And so ultimately they did decide to name another family member and then name a private fiduciary as their successor trustee. But this is by far the biggest decision you will make and your attorney should be walking you through that. Yeah, yeah. When's the right time to do this? Like, is there either an age or an asset dollar number or some sure. other criteria? How yeah. does a person decide when it's the right time to create a trust? As an estate planning attorney, you know, I'm going to say when you turn 18, <laughs> uh, you know, more and more, uh, on, let's talk on the incapacity front. So estate planning does include powers of attorney, healthcare directives. I can't tell you how many of those I've been doing for adult children of my clients. 
they're 18, they're 19, they're moving across the country. And as soon as you become an adult in the eyes of the government, your parents are no longer next of kin. And so if you become incapacitated, even just briefly, you have a car accident, you, you know, something happens, parents have no legal rights to make decisions for you unless you've given them a power of attorney or an advanced healthcare directive. So when it comes to that, I say any adult should have their incapacity planning together. But when it comes to true estate planning, your will, your trust, um, the asset limit for California is $150,000. So what that means is that if you have, if you die without an estate plan, and you have greater than $150,000, we are in probate no matter what. If you have less than $150,000, you may, your estate may be eligible for a small estate affidavit, uh, which is non-probate procedure, a simple affidavit, and it would go to either your legal heirs or to whomever you've named in your will. Um, now, some estate planning attorneys will say, when you get married, or when you have a child, or when you purchase your own home, and I don't subscribe to that. I can't tell you how many single uh, clients I have who don't have children, and maybe they don't even own a house, and they are prime candidates for a trust because they have friends they want to take care of. They have charities they want to contribute to. They have nieces and nephews that they want to set up college funds for. And only a trust gives you that ability. Um, and so in my opinion, sometimes single people need it more than anyone because they don't have a spouse or a child who's going to automatically inherit under the laws of California. Um, if you don't have a will or a trust and you're single, it's gonna go up to your parents if they're living. So your parents will inherit from you. Uh, and if your parents are no longer living, then to your siblings or your siblings' kids. And not everyone wants that. So I don't think that there's an age limit. Um, asset limit, you know, maybe uh, the $150,000 is important to consider. Um, but again, that's just a default law. It doesn't give you that true control um, that a will and a trust does. I think that's uh, that's kind of news to me. I would imagine that might be some news to uh, many of our viewers that um, you don't have to have an enormous estate to start to think about um, avoiding probate and getting a document in place that's going to allow your wishes to um, to proceed. Yes, and because of the value of real estate in California, my rule of thumb really is if you own any real estate, even if it's an empty lot, I'm helping a woman right now, empty lot in South Pass, it's worth $250,000. You need a trust. Um, or if you have minor children, if either of those are true, it is a no brainer. It's what you need to do. Uh, we might be able to be creative depending on other situations, but if either of those are true, uh, trust is really the only way to go. Fabulous. So let me let me do a little summing up here. Okay. Um, well, before I do that, is, is there anything else that we haven't covered that you think would be important for people to know who are um, at least thinking about this subject? 
Sure. Um, the only thing, you know, just because I know that so many of our mutual clients are freelancers, I, I hope I explained that enough about dealing with the guilds after death. Uh, they have very specific requirements. And so if you're, if you have no estate plan or if you only have a will and your family's in probate, it's going to be very difficult uh, for your loved one to continue reaping the benefits of the work that you did during your life. Uh, we can really tie that up with a bow if you have a living trust and a pour over will. Uh, so I would just wanna really you know, make that point clear. Um, you, know, you and I have had mutual clients. I, and I've said to you, I think musicians actually have it the hardest. Um, SAG-AFTRA has really come together and is pretty clear. The Writers Guild is pretty clear. Um, in my experience, musicians are looking at so many different guilds and organizations that are paying out royalties and residuals. And the cleanest way to make that available to your beneficiaries is with a living trust. And can, let's talk, because I come from the musician side here. Um, let's, let's get specific about that a little bit. Um, the royalty streams that myself and, and many of my colleagues are entitled to include the, uh, the secondary markets, the Film Musician Special Payments Fund, uh, the AFFM SAG-AFTRA Intellectual Property Fund, and then all of the uh, smaller collection agencies, many of them are based in Europe, that collect royalties for musicians who had uh, played as uh, background musicians on uh, mostly recordings as opposed to films and television. Um, are, um, are all of those things um, protectable for our heirs um, through the trust? Can we assign the, the, those, the, the future streams of those things to the trust and therefore the heirs will get them? Yes. So a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely. And not only are they protected within the trust, you can even set aside within the trust, um, this is who should inherit my, my royalties and residuals. Um, or you may tell me, I want to name a special trustee. You know, maybe my best friend is the trust, is the trustee of my entire trust, but my sister knows my royalties and residuals better than anyone. So we can make sister the special trustee. So she's the one that's in charge of tracking those down. And uh, so that's again, something that your attorney should be talking to you with and absolutely something that from all those various funds that you just managed, mentioned uh, can be protected within the trust. Well, that's it for our first broadcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you'll come back for more We've got some really great guests lined up, and we'll be sure to let you know when the episodes are available. Thanks again.